references to your lesson book. And uh, we want to go ahead and start this. There's a lot to cover. Um, and so I'm going to ask Ryan, would you mind, sir, leading us in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for all the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us in our lives. Father, we, we ask that we, we study again on the Sermon on the Mount that we may apply it to our lives, Father, but not only to our lives, but those who are around about us, being that light that you'd have us to be and not put it under a bushel. Father, we ask that you be with Sean as he delivers this message to us this morning, that he has a ready remembrance of the things which he has prepared, and that, Father, we would receive it into our hearts. But not only him, Father, but those other teachers who are teaching our kids, that you'd be with them also, Father, and that you would be with the hearts that receive it. Father, we are so thankful for your Son who has sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. We ask forgiveness of those sins as we repent of them. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. So, Brother Ryan just did a wonderful job leading us in a prayer. And we pray every time we come together for our Bible study, which is a good thing. It's a great tradition for Bible classes in the Church of Christ. But my question is, beyond this time when we pray together as a family, do we pray alone? Do you pray alone often? If not, I want to start a little, just throw some things out here. Why not, or let's put it this way, why do you think some Christians, maybe even yourself, struggle with this? Struggle with finding time for a constant prayer with God. What, what, what do you think about that? Why, does, why do some Christians, why have you struggled with this if you have struggled with this before? Too busy. Too busy. Okay, so Nicole said, and I saw you, Rick, I'm going to come right next to you, uh, sir. Uh, too busy. That is probably one of the most common ones. We get real busy. We got all this stuff going on, the job and school and kids and, and you know, different things. Some people are caretakers. And there's a lot going on in life. I mean, a lot going on. Life can just eat you up sometimes. And sometimes the spiritual things get put on the back burner, which would include prayer. You get to the end of your day, you had prayed, even though you've done a hundred other things. Brother Rick, your comment. Yes, sir. I was going to say, that verse that says the Lord knows what we need. The question is, do we know what we need? And I think that could be linked to the fact that if you have a shallow knowledge of God's Word um, that would lead to not knowing what you need. We don't know what to say to God. We don't know what they're asking for. We don't know what we need. I mean, I think all that is, is really good. In fact, going back to God knows already what we need. For some people, they don't pray because they say, what's the point? If God already knows what I need, what's the point in talking to God about it? So point in talking to Him, He already knows what I need. So, I'm not going to educate Him on anything. Uh, Ryan then done after that. Um, I'm such a speck compared to. Not worthy to talk to him. I'm not worthy. I guess that's a better way to say it. I'm not worthy to talk to him. And you know that comes from a good a good heart. I, I you know we've I think we've all felt that way. Uh, but the question is, should that stop us from praying? But you're right. For some people, because they feel like, and it's coming from a good place, that I'm not worthy, then they don't ever because of the sinful life and right like that. Right. I'm exactly. Sure. Um, somebody Don. Don, yes, and then Mike after that. There's a degree of laziness that occurs 
when an individual does not want to study and find out what we need and what God wants us to have and what He is able to provide for us. Yes. All of those play somewhere in, in petitioning Him to satisfy our needs. And then there's the other aspect of getting bogged down in prayer. When you tell you to look at the prayer list that we have got in this congregation alone, yes, and then compound that with our friends in Marpol and our friends in the Philippines and our friends in South Africa and all, and how much time does it take to pray for each and every one of those? <laughs> right. And yeah. sometimes it, the, the, the magnitude of the needs of just us and our friends overcomes an individual. Yes, no, that's a good point, Don. And this idea of our needs and understanding what our needs are and when talking with God, Jesus is going to have something to say about that in this prayer we're going to be looking at today. One more comment and we got to get moving. Mike, yes, sir. Very similar to what Don says. I mean, during my life, I've tried to get up early as Jesus did, and you get praying, and then it's then you're stopping because you got to get going. And it doesn't matter how early you get up because it's like you said, we once you get in a prayer motive, just wait until late at night. You know, people go to everybody's going to bed, the house is quiet. Well, then it's quiet, and then pretty soon you're going, well, I got to go to bed. Yep. Uh, I don't know if it was a preacher or an elder one time was preaching on prayer. And he mentioned, he never says amen. His prayer is a constant all day long. He can pray at breakfast. He can pray at lunch. He can pray while the stoplight is red. Yeah. He says, as long as I am in a communication with God, God will accept my prayer. Absolutely. And so, to have a, he said, you know, specifically, Jesus went out to get away from the crowds because he needed the opportunity. Right. But for us, if we're alone and we have some quiet time, there is absolutely no reason we can't be in prayer. Uh, so that's wonderful, Mike. I think that's all those are all you say just really good comments I think can contribute to what we're about to talk about. So let's read what Jesus says going back to Matthew six. Matthew chapter six and verse number six. Jesus says, But you, verse six, when you pray, so there's an assumption that God's people are going to pray. Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they'll be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And Brother Rick just made reference to that. Pray then in this way, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and amen. Now that may be in brackets in your Bible. There's a lot of evidence that that probably was not in the uh, original document. But that's not worthy of talking about now. Verse 14, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Notice how here Jesus says something very, very incredible that I think we need to think about and get our minds wrapped around and really just kind of let it soak. Jesus says that we can pray. We can pray. Can you believe that? I mean, can you believe that we can actually pray? We can actually talk to God. You know, I made this point before and I'm going to make it again because I think it's 
worthy of being brought up right now. We couldn't do that, and I don't care what political persuasion you are right now. Just don't miss the point. We couldn't do that right now or talk to the President of the United States within the next week if our lives depended on it. We couldn't get a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him if our lives depended on him. You know why? Because he's too busy to talk to you. And he's too busy to talk to me. I mean, you could call the White House. You could go online right now and get the number to the White House. You know what you're going to get? Anybody else but the President, you're not going to get him. Because he doesn't have time for you. And he doesn't have time for me. And yet, Jesus says, God always has time for us. And when it comes to the President and God, I mean, is there really a comparison there? Come on. So I can't talk to the President or a Senator or a Congressperson in the next week if my life depended on it. And yet with God, the Creator, I can talk to Him anytime I desire. The question is, how do I do that? How do I pray? How do I talk to God? How do I communicate with one, like Rick said, who knows everything about everything, who knows my needs, and he's the creator of everything? Well, in these verses, Jesus is going to tell us how to do that. If you remember, in verses 6 down to verse 8, Jesus tells us how not to talk to God. Okay, This is how you don't do it. And then in verses 9 down to verse 15, Jesus says, this is how you do talk to God. So I'm going to tell you how not to do it. I'm going to tell you how to do it. If you don't want to please God in your prayer, then pray like the scribes and the Pharisees. Have their kind of righteousness when it comes to pray. Prayer. Pray like the hypocrites. Prayer with a focus on impressing yourself or, press or impressing other people. If you pray like that, if you pray with a focus on what other people are going to say about your prayers, then your prayers are worthless. The worthless prayers to God. So don't pray like the scribes and the Pharisees, and don't pray like the pagans of that day. Don't pray like they prayed to Zeus and Athena and Apollos and Hermes. Don't pray with meaningless repetition, repetition, thinking that you can annoy God into giving you what you want. Because that's how they pray to their false gods. Don't pray in such a way believing that you can educate God or you can inform Him of things that He doesn't already know. You know, I, I, pray, don't pray trying to count Greek words out to God. And I know God, the Greeks, God knows all that, okay? He don't need us to teach Him. We don't need to pray teaching God because we're never going to impress Him with that. Now, we may impress people with that, but we're not going to impress God. Don't treat prayer as a tool to impress God or try to persuade God into giving you everything that you want. That's not going to work. Jesus says all that is wrong. None of that pleases God. None of that brings glory to God. Instead of praying like that, verse 9 says, Jesus says in verse 9, pray then in this way. You see that? Pray then in this way. Now that's a powerful statement just right there. That statement, pray then in this way, is a statement of permission. Okay? We don't need to take that for granted. We need permission to talk to God. Alright? And Jesus says we have that permission. Jesus says that not only is it okay for us to talk to God, but God actually wants us to talk to Him. Can you believe that? God actually wants to hear from me? So Jesus says you can pray. 
But when you pray, when you talk to the one who runs everything and owns everything, you do it right. You include certain things in your prayers. First, Jesus says, call God your Father. Now, that's, that's, that's amazing right there. Let's talk about that. When Jesus said that originally to his Jewish audience, they probably had their mouths dropped. They couldn't believe he said that. You know why? Because the Jews in Jesus' time didn't say our Father in prayer. In fact, if you look at your Old Testament, the fatherhood of God is not really touched on. It's not touched on much. The Jews recognized God as the father of Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel, but they, they didn't view it as a personal relationship. Like God's the father of me. They didn't view it that way. They viewed it as God is our father, as in the father of Israel. But Jesus here is talking personal. God is your father. Their mouths will have dropped hearing Jesus saying that because they avoided in their prayers at this time referring to God in that way. They did not refer to God as their father. This was a radical concept. It was radical to the Jewish mind to think you could have a personal kind of relationship with God, meaning He is my Father. In fact, as I said, this idea of the fatherhood of God is not a big theme in the Old Testament. It's really not. But Jesus says it's okay to call God your Father. You can call God your Father. Jesus actually referred to God as His Father over 40 times, just in the Gospel of Matthew alone. Jesus called God His Father. Calling God Father was a big deal to Jesus, and it should be a big deal to us too. Jesus says that God in heaven is our Father, and we can actually call Him our Father. That's a big deal to somebody like me, someone who has never seen His earthly Father before. That's a big deal to somebody like me. Knowing that, hey, I've never seen my Father, my earthly Father, but Jesus says, that's okay. you got a Father up there. You got a heavenly father. That's a big deal to somebody like me who's never seen my earthly father. Jesus says that when you talk to God, you can call him your father. Now what do we say to the father? Well, there are three things we're going to focus on in this lesson. First, Jesus says that when you talk to the father, you say, hallowed be your name. Now we're not just talking about the statement here. We're looking at what the meaning of these statements are. Okay, Jesus has given us a template for prayer. Hallowed be your name. To really appreciate what the Lord is saying here, it is important for us to understand the significance of names in the Bible. Now, in our time today, we don't really view names as a big deal. I mean, what does Ryan mean? mean a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what does Dave mean? I mean, what does Sean mean? Nobody really cares. Our parents really didn't care. It just sounded good. You know? I guess it did. But... In the Bible, how did the Jews treat names? Naming their kids. It was a big deal. Why? Because names meant something. You get that? Names meant something to God's people in the Bible. You think about John the Baptist. You know, what were they wanting to name John when he was born? Well, they wanted to name him after his father. But what does Zacharias say? No, we're going to name him John because this name came from God. John's name was important to his parents. Think about the patriarchs. 
Think about the naming of the sons of Jacob. All of that, when you read Genesis, was very strategic. These kids were named certain names on purpose because the names had meaning. And then Jesus' name. I mean, did Mary and Joseph just come up with that? Or was that name appointed to Jesus because of its meaning? See, names are important in the Bible. So to really get what Jesus is saying here, we got to understand the significance of names in the Bible. John's name had significance. The patriarchs and their children, their names were significant. Jesus' name was significant. And God's name? <laughs> the most significant. In fact, it was so significant that the Jews wouldn't write God's name down. They wouldn't write, they wouldn't even, they would leave out vowels. I mean, this idea that the Hebrews didn't have vowels in their language is ridiculous. I mean, how can you talk about vowels? Of course they had vowels. But they would intentionally leave certain vowels out because they didn't feel worthy to write God's name. So, we don't know really what it is. I mean, Don has an O in the middle, but it can have an A in the middle and be Dan. Right? So, the Jews did that because they did not feel worthy enough to write God's name. So, it's not about the letters here. It's not about, okay, well, G-O-D. That has significance. It's not about the pronouncement of Yahweh or Jehovah. It is what God's name represents about who He is, His personhood. Hallowed be your name. Not the letters G-O-D or Yahweh or Jehovah, but it's the fact that God is eternal. God is the I Am. God is holy. He is blameless. He is awesome. He is above all and in all and through all. When a disciple hollows God's name in prayer, they are acknowledging to God that your name is sacred. Your name is sacred. You're sacred. Your name is sacred. And so when I pray to you because of who you are, I'm going to have reverence. That's the application. That's what Jesus is saying here. Hollow God's name. It's not just the letters G-O-D, but it's the fact who God is, what His name represents. Understanding who we're praying to. We're talking to someone above the president or an earthly king or queen. We are talking to God. We are talking to the one who is awesome in every way possible. That's the idea. Do you get that? That's how we have to pray. Pray with an understanding that we're talking to God. Let me say this next thing here, then I'll give you a chance to make a comment. When you pray, you have to pray understanding who you're talking to. This is serious business. You're not talking to your homeboy, your homegirl, or your friend here, someone who's just your friend. You're talking to God, okay? This is God. And then, secondly, when you pray, pray for His will. His will must be desired when you pray. That's what He means in verse number 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know so often we say, when we look at this, oh, I can't say your kingdom come, because the kingdom is the church, and the kingdom was established in Acts 2. I know in our efforts to think we're being so conservative, we say that stuff. But let's talk about what is the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Don't just say church, because that's very limited. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first the church? I got to seek first the church? 
The kingdom of God is the rule of God. The reign of God in your heart. The rule, Jesus says the kingdom of God is in your heart. Remember, He told people that. That's the rule of God. That's the reign of God. Now, this did begin in Acts 2. No doubt about that. But it, it's not just limited to the fact that, yes, the church came into existence. It is the fact that in Acts 2, when the gospel was preached by Peter, God's rule began in the hearts of believers. Do you get that? Those 3,000 were submitting themselves to God. Now, that included getting baptized and repenting and being part of the church, but they had God's rule in their heart, God's reign in their heart. And guess what? If you're a Christian, God's rule is in your heart. God is reigning over you. You are some of the few people on this earth that is saying, I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to let God have authority over me and I'm going to live His way. That's the kingdom of God. Letting God rule over you. Letting God be your king. Letting God reign in your heart by obeying His gospel. And let me ask you this. Should we desire that today? Should we desire when we pray that all people will submit to God? Is that a good thing to pray for? I want all people to submit to God. I want all people to let God rule in their lives. Is that a righteous request or a wicked request? That's righteous. I want everybody I want everybody in Phoenix. I want everybody in Arizona. I want everybody in America and all over the globe to submit to God. So, of course, I'm not praying God established the church. I know the church was established in Acts 2, and you do too. But I still want God's rule to reign in the lives of people. Don't you? So we can make application there. Don't pray for the church to be established. Of course not. Church established. We get that. But we still want God to rule in people's lives. If God rules in their life, then guess what they're going to do? They're going to be part of His church. That makes sense? And so, there's nothing wrong with praying for God's rule and reign. But then, in addition to that, well, let me stop. Let me stop right there. Let me, let me pause. I've said a lot there. Any comments about this so far? Anything about the hallowed be your name section? Um, or... The will of God, the kingdom of God. Brother Don, go right ahead, sir. You've had your hand up. A couple okay. of things. The vowel sounds were not in the written text until the Masoretic text. When the scribes put the, the little dots down at the bottom to identify what the vowel sound right. was in there. It was spoken, That's but what it I was never say. written down. Yes, that, no, that's so, a good point. So the idea of a GD you know, was never there to begin with. Right, but the it, point is... The point is to say, and that was the point, was to say that a language with no vowels is impossible. Right. It was spoken. <laughs> yes. It was spoken yes. and carried on, but it was not written down. But that, that that's a mute point in, in many respects. The fact that when God identified his name mm -hmm. to people, it was always as what was going on at that time. I am the El Shaddai to Abraham. I am the all-powerful. Yes. I can do anything. Yes. I'm going to take you and make you into something that you're not. Yes. And and continuing on down through. And at the other end of that, you've got the Adonai, which I am the tender one who is going to care for you and protect you. And with all of that combined, you have got the Eternal One, which is the unspoken name of God. I am the Eternal One or the I-He of the burning bush, or the I-Am of Isaiah, continuing on through. But the, the, the fact that God's name does not represent an individual in that respect, it's kind of like saying, 
the, the empire or the emperor. You know, you're not identifying a name, you are identifying a position. Yes. And the position of God is over the entire universe. And, and I think this is important to bring out because I don't know if you've seen on social media this idea that a, a baby's first breath is Yahweh. Mm. That's, first off, I don't know about y'all, but my baby's first breath was what? <laughs> it wasn't that. <laughs> well, I mean, was that, was that you too? I mean, that was I don't me. know what I said when I was born. Yeah, so I'm talking about your children. Uh, so that itself is ridiculous. But the fact is, we don't know. Yes. Yahweh, we don't, we don't know. You don't know how to pronounce it. Exactly. And, and, and the point of that is, is it really doesn't matter. That's not the point of the letters. It's like you said. It is what it represents yes. of God's position. Right. Of who he is at his core. So, Don, that's a great point. And I appreciate that. Uh, I think you're, you're as usual, you, you're right on the money with that. Uh, anyone else? Any other comments? Yes, ma'am. I was just going to say, um, one aspect, um, number six says this one aspect of this prayer that you need to include more in your prayers and how do you plan on including more. It's always been more difficult for me to um, praise God. Not that, not that He doesn't deserve it. It's just not language that we use. You know, flowery. I don't know yeah. how else to explain. So one thing that really did help me was reading Psalms. Yes. Because Dave yes. definitely praises. Oh, what a God. rich comment, Joan. If you want to know how to pray, in addition to looking at Jesus' teaching, I think the last question on the book was some other examples. We got Matthew 6, but John 17, which is the true Lord's Prayer. Uh, because that's Jesus, you know, not teaching how to pray, you know, as far as his apostles go, but actually praying to the Father. Uh, and then you got Matthew 26. And so you got those, but David's stuff in Psalms. Excellent prayers. Um, and a lot of things that David did in his prayers were praise God. And. I like that. You're right. That doesn't come natural to us a lot of times to want to offer praise to anything. But we need to teach ourselves to do that with God because He's worthy. He knows who He is. He knows how great He is. But it does something for us to acknowledge it with our mouths that we understand it. Uh, and I think that's the real purpose of prayer. Prayer doesn't do anything for God. It does something for us. It, it shows where our trust is. It shows where our dependence is. That's the point of prayer. It's not, we're not teaching God anything. God, like Jesus said, we, God knows what we need. But when we pray, don't you feel better when you pray? Don't, don't you feel more comforted and, and more equipped when you talk to God? See, prayer is really something for us more than God. It's kind of like a funeral. You know, a funeral don't do nothing for the dead person. Who's the funeral for usually? Those that are left. It's for the grieving. It gives them some closure. It does something for them. But prayer does something for us. And so that, that's a good comment. Yes, sir. Go right ahead, Ian. I was just going to ask because I've been asked before if God hears, you know, the individual with faith and, and you, if he prays with faith, God will listen. Why do we ask other people to pray as well, either for a person who's sick or for us? Um, if he just, because I've heard of, you know, chain prayers. And, mm -hmm. um, is it that God, the more people pray, the more that he hears? Or is it. Well, like you said, for us. You know what? I don't know the answer to that. I, there's a lot I don't know about that. <clears throat> I'll just say this. 
the best I can say is what James says. The prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And I want as many righteous people, men and women, praying as possible. Can one person's prayer do a lot? Of course. But can a hundred maybe do more? Maybe so. A thousand? Maybe more. I don't, there's a lot I don't know about this. And I'm not going to sit here and try to act like I have all the answers. I just know for me personally, I'd rather have... Just like I'd rather have a thousand Christians sing with me when I worship God, I'd rather have a thousand people praying for me over 500. I think the more prayers, the better. That's just how I view it. And I think that's a great sign of faith from God's people. Now, we have Bible examples of where a lot of people praying did a lot of amazing things. Read Acts chapter... 3, 4, 5. Yes, where when the disciples got done being persecuted, they went to the church and prayed, and the place shook. That they were in. That's a lot of people praying and God hearing those prayers and God doing something to let them know I heard all of you. So, I mean, that's my answer. That yes, sir, done. But the effect of those prayers is they all went out stronger. Yes. They go out. The effect on them, not the effect on God. Absolutely. James, you had a comment too. Did you have your hand up? Okay. Anybody else have a comment before we move on here? All right, let's move on. Next part. So, so far we got we got three things, right? Y'all are making great comments. I appreciate it. Alright, so we got the hollow name of God. The idea there is pray, understanding who, you, who you're talking to. Okay, who God is. Number two, pray for God's will to be desired. You want God's will done on the earth. And the, and the main thing that's tied with that is we want every person to submit to God. To God's rule and reign. That's what we want. And then, the next part Jesus says... Is your needs. Now we've been talking about this a little bit already. Your needs. You have needs. I have needs. Well, Jesus talks about two different kinds of needs. First, the physical needs. When verses 11 through 15. Your physical needs. Daily bread. Now let's emphasize that. Pray not just for your bread, but your... You need daily bread. You know, so often, Joan, we're always thinking about, you know, I might run out of food in 10 years, or the, our money's going to be... You know, just worthless in the next however many years. Jesus says, what you need to be doing is worry about today. You need to eat today. Okay? You're worried about 10 years from now. You're worried about 50 years from now with inflation and all that. Jesus says, today when you pray, say, God, feed me today. We need daily bread. Do you see that? And it's easy for us to take that for granted, isn't it? Living in America, oh, I'm going to get my daily bread. I'm good. No. Jesus says, understand that comes from God. If you get that daily bread today, whatever you eat, that came from God. That was an answer to your prayer. Because <clears throat> God can take it just like that. Lord, please, when, when I get up in the morning, I need to say, Lord, please give me what I need to survive today. Amen. Give me what I need today, please. Give me my, my food that comes from you today. Please continue to, to bless me with... The needs I need and my family need today. Jesus says pray that way. But you don't just need the physical stuff. Jesus says you need the spiritual stuff more so. And he says when you pray, ask God to forgive you for your sins. But as you forgive others. You see that? Through prayer. And we, this goes by our lesson this morning. You know, what Simon was told to do. Remember what Simon was told to do? After he had sinned. Peter said, you need to repent and pray. Well, that's, that's this idea. God, forgive me. But when I ask God to forgive me, 
I don't need to expect His forgiveness if I'm not first forgiving others. So this is a conditional, a conditional blessing here. If I first forgive others, then I can expect God to forgive me. But if I don't forgive others, guess what? I don't need to expect God to forgive me when I ask for His forgiveness through prayer. So use prayer to ask God to forgive you. But make sure when you do that, you've already forgiven others first. That's what Jesus says. Yes, sir, Tony. So, so basically, when someone wrongs you, you know, like like they stole your Dr. Pepper at work, or they <laughs> didn't let you do a certain task, and you can't. You're saying you can't hold a grudge against them. Don't hold. That's, there's a lot we can say about this. Don't hold grudges. If people don't come to you seeking forgiveness, don't hold a grudge. Don't be bitter. And if they come to you wanting to reconcile and want forgiveness, make sure you forgive them. If you do that, when you pray, ask God to forgive you, He'll forgive you. That's the idea. This is conditional. So, this is something else we got to think about. When we pray, we gotta have, we got to ask God for these physical needs, these physical blessings. We need that from Him. But most importantly, we need that spiritual stuff. Now, Jesus talks about forgiveness here, but we can also add in our prayers, God, help me grow. Help me learn more. God, help me be a better Christian today than I was yesterday. That's spiritual. And so often it's hard for us folks on spiritual, isn't it? We want the physical. God, somebody I know is sick. Can you bless them? You know, we go through the prayer list and we're just praying for sick people. That's fine. We need to do that. We need to pray for the sick. But let's not neglect the most important stuff, which is the spiritual. That's the most important. And so, there's one more thing here. A couple more things I need to say real quick. This part in Matthew, uh, in, in Jesus' prayer, where he talks about Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's spiritual. <laughs> That's spiritual. That is a big spiritual component. God, lead me not into temptation. Well, someone says, oh, that means God don't, don't test me. Well, if Jesus wanted to say God don't test me, He would have said that. He didn't say that. In Matthew 4, verse 1, in Matthew 4, verse 1, Jesus was led up by who? Is the Holy Spirit God? Absolutely He is. Into the wilderness to be what? Jesus was led by God into temptation. That's what the Scripture says. Jesus was led by God to be tested so He could go out and be prepared to be our high priest. God, please, don't put me in a position like Jesus. Because I'm not strong like Jesus. I can't do what he did. Not to that degree. You know why? Because I fall. Have you fallen before as a Christian? We've already failed the test. God, please don't do that to me. Because I'm not strong like Jesus. I'm trying. I try every day. I'm trying. But I, I, I'll never be like Jesus. Instead of leading me into that kind of situation, God, deliver me. Deliver me from evil. Evil there can be also in some places translated the evil one. Which is who? Satan. God deliver me from Satan when he comes in my life. Because he's going to come in my life. And I can't beat him without you. Don't lead me into that path that my Savior took like Matthew 4. Because I'm not strong like that. Can't do it. But deliver me. When the devil comes into my life. Deliver me from the evil one. 
So I think when you harmonize this, because remember, Matthew 4 is only two chapters. I mean, uh, two chapters before. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. So here's the application. Application. When you pray, when I pray, when we pray, they need to be more focused on the spiritual than the physical. Nothing wrong with praying for the physical stuff, but I, I'm afraid that we get so wrapped up in that because we, we, you know, we, we experience the physical that we don't think about the spiritual. No, in your prayers, include more spiritual stuff. Pray for growth. Pray for maturity. Ask for forgiveness. Ask God to be with the church and to be with the elders and give them strength and comfort. Pray for the spiritual more than the physical. That's the most important stuff. Secondly, keep your prayers focused on God always. Not yourself or, you know, what other people are going to think about you or whatever. We need to always think about God. Prayer is about thinking about God. I'm nurturing our relationship with God and communicating with God. And then thirdly, from this prayer, I think we see that our prayers don't have to be long and drawn out to be pleasing to God. A two-minute prayer can be just as acceptable to God as an hour prayer. This is not a long prayer. Did you notice that? This is not a long prayer, Matthew 6. And yet, who's here going to say that this prayer isn't the best prayer you find in the Bible? Nehemiah used three words. Thank you. you see what I, so, look, if you want to pray for an hour, Brother Mike say pray for 45 minutes, God bless you. That is wonderful. Jesus prayed all night, Luke 6. But you don't have to always do that. Sometimes you can do a short prayer. And guess what? It's coming from the heart. It's effective. That's all that matters. So, I hope y'all could get something out of this. this is a, I know this is a lot here. But the point is, we can pray. And if you, all, if you ever need help with your prayers, go to Jesus. He'll teach you. And he'll never lead you astray when it comes to prayer. Brother Rick, Wednesday and then next Sunday, he's got a couple of lessons coming up. And he's got some really good stuff. So, uh, and Rick, I really hope you don't get sick. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think I can get 